Welcome to the Bully Pulpit from the University of Southern California Center for the Political Future. Our podcast brings together America's top politicians, journalists, academics, and strategists from across the political spectrum for discussions on hot-button issues where we respect each other and respect the truth. We hope you enjoy these conversations. Welcome. Students are back on campus. The university has come back to life. And this is our first Bully Pulpit series of this semester. I'm Bob Shrum, the director of the Center for the Political Future, the University of Southern California. I'm here with Mike Murphy, my co-director. And we have a very special guest today, Gloria Molina, who was the first Latina elected to the California State Assembly, representing the 56th District in 1982. She was the first Latina to be elected to the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, where she served for more than two decades. We're honored that she's a fall fellow at the Center for the Political Future and is teaching a course Tuesdays from 3 p.m. to 5.20 called Holding Our Leaders Accountable, Promoting Ethics in Local Government. Students can apply for that course on our website. Now I'm going to turn this over to Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Thank you all for joining. I'm coming to you live from the USC Center for the Political Future New Hampshire Outpost which is just like our LA operation, except there's no uh, state income or sales tax. But I'll be back to where I pay income and sales tax in California on Saturday, wrapping up a vacation. So hence my uh, casual attire and silly uh, background. Well, look, this is a fun one. And we're going to be talking both with our friend Gloria about the fellowship she's doing at the center, about her impressive career. But our main topic is the future of Los Angeles. Now, I want to start with just kind of a clarity topic, because this is something I find that people who are not in the political or policy realm often don't understand. But the job of Los Angeles County Supervisor is a job that not, not again, as I said, not many people know about, but it's an incredibly important job. L.A. County has 10 million people in it. It's almost as big as Ohio. And the, the five supervisors are incredibly important to the county. That is the job. And you had it. So I think I'll, I'll start with uh, kind of the obvious big question. What do you see as the opportunities and the challenges for the entire L.A. County Metroplex moving forward? And then maybe we're moving to the mayor's race and some of the issues. But what do we have to get right and what do you worry we're going to get wrong over the next 10 years from your vast experience here? Well, I think what we need to get right is we need to get bold leadership. I I think we really need some really hands-on political folks that are going to wrestle some of these issues down in a way that's going to be cooperative and inclusive, but really bold enough to stand up to all of the interests that are involved. When you look at what's going on in areas like the development of downtown or development across the city or the county, or when you look at the homelessness issues or police issues, Again, you know, the the special interests are in the way before you can make policy. So you need a bold leader, someone who's going to stand up to special interests, not exclude them because you don't want to do that. You don't want to step over them. You want to incorporate them in the problem solving. But we really need crisis management at every single level. And, And not just, you know, political darling standing up and making pretty speeches and moving forward, but really you know, uh, being hands-on and bringing on the, I think there's talent out there uh, in Los Angeles that want to do all of the right things for this city and have the capability of, of doing so. It's quite a challenge and it can, you know, it, it's hard when you're a politician because 
you've got to raise money, you've got to do that, you've got to work with the people who who are the lobbyists and so on, and all of those interest groups. But if we really want the kind of future, if we're going to wrestle with with the kind of positive future we want for Los Angeles, we really has to start with bold leadership that's going to be strong and effective and be able to tackle these issues in a way that people can trust and 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 build confidence in. Let me follow up quickly because I totally agree with you. But as you know, that's the hardest thing in politics because without the support of interest groups, either in votes or money, it's pretty hard to get out of first base, particularly when you run. You, you know, it's hard to get elected countywide or citywide in a mega city like Los Angeles just with, uh, you know, wearing out a, a shoe lip. You know, you need dollars, you need campaign, and that tends to come from either an interest group that cares a lot about the city budget, like public employees or police unions or whoever they may be, or developers who care a lot about where they can, you know, develop things, both for good and sometimes just for profit. And then ideological groups, environmentalists who, you know, can sometimes be very strong or more moderate environmentalists. So you got all these groups that have a lot of power. You want to stand up to them. But but how do you thread the needle of getting elected here without kind of becoming part of the system? I think that's something a lot of voters would like to know. And I don't have an easy answer for it. And there isn't an easy answer, um, but I do think it would be something that if you stood up and started saying and challenging and, and including um, these groups in problem solving, pointing out the answers and finding those ways, um, I think people might be respectful. I don't know. When you look at homeless issues, for example, everybody complains about how dirty the city is and so on. And we're busy trying to build housing and so on. But then you have neighborhood organizations that won't allow you to build uh, the kind of housing that is needed in those areas. And if you challenge them, you might as well write yourself off. You're right. That is the challenge that we have. So we need the kind of leader that's going to be nimble enough to be able to bring these groups together, incorporate them into the problem solving, and, and see if we can get that cooperation. Because eventually those interest groups are hurting themselves in the long run. I think that has right. been the case in all of all of them as far as as what is going on but the challenge is and that's the unfortunate part of getting elected you can't get elected with with them i know because uh, certainly i was very very bold and strong in many instances with the the uh, public employees group and the unions and and they really stung me hard and yeah. were very you know uh and so you have to be very very careful but again if not, then we're going to continue to have the kind of leadership that we have that kind of doesn't go in any direction whatsoever and just moves around casually. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to see our city fall apart. There has to be boldness and, and strongness and some way to incorporate them. Um, and, and there are folks that have that kind of capability. It's just whether, in fact, we're going to stand behind them. And I know that that's what we're looking for in a leader. A lot of us are. And and hopefully we'll have someone who will stand up and be fierce and strong in that manner because it's desperately needed throughout L.A. County. You know, I remember back in the Schwarzenegger years, we'd have what we would call a big five meeting to kind of settle the state budget, which, you know, is the epic fight. You've been there in the assembly. Right. You know how that all works. And so we'd have the leader of the Democratic speaker, Democratic Senate leader, the Republican minority leader in the House and in the Senate and the governor. And right. the idea was to get the last mile done. And it got to the point, first, the two Republicans are basically there for the free lunch because they don't have a lot of votes or power, kind of depending. 
But the assembly speaker kept going out in the hallway to call the head of the teachers union to find out if it was okay to have potato chips or not. And Schwarzenegger from Hollywood got to the point where, hey, why don't why don't we bring her in and throw him out? Right. Because those public employee unions are really, really powerful. And in a republic in a red state, you're you know, you're gonna have other groups, pro-life or or chamber of commerce or NRA out in the hallway too with similar powers. So I and I applaud you. I know your career and I know you did show some independence and you've got the, the scars from campaigns to show it on those things. I just well let me let me pose a question this way, and Bob, you may want to chime in. As the mayor's race, you know, we have a new mayor coming. Maybe sooner than we thought, because Mayor Garcetti is the nominee apparent. He hasn't been confirmed yet as ambassador to India in the Biden administration. So we might have a caretaker mayor for a while. Um, but we're going to have an election in November 2020. A lot of interesting people running. Do you think, and I, I won't try to get you to endorse anybody. I know you it's too early. But do you think it may be time for more of an outsider, like a Dick Reardon, uh, fresh face. People look at Rick Caruso has been very successful in, in his business stuff and all that. Or is it just, uh, we want an insider with experience, but maybe more gumption to take on the system. Cause I think a lot of voters are dissatisfied, at least in the city right now, and might be attracted to an outsider candidate for a change. Thinking the people who've been there have had their shot and the results are mixed at best. What's your take on that? Or does it just depend on the candidate, what the skills are, you know, categories are overrated. You were asking Bob, right? No, no, she was. Oh, she was, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're after you. You're the you're the pro here, Bob. Bob and I are in the opinion business. We never have to answer anything. <laughs> okay. Well, again, it, it you know I do think that we need a pro here, but I also think we have to be very cautious. The people that are standing up now uh, and running for office and trying to say the right thing to every single special interest group. I think those are, it's just not working. Um, I think that, that, that it, it's worthwhile to, to have someone, it might be an outsider. It might be, uh, someone that's just, just would be fierce and strong about this. And it's so hard. I, I'm kind of very tired of, of the folks that are out there running around and, and grandstanding on some of these issues. Um, it, and it just is bothersome for me and it, and I know it's bothersome for the voters. I, we could bring people out. I mean, not many people are voting in these city elections because they, they just are not trusting their leaders. That's yeah. one of the largest problems. And so, uh, you know, maybe somebody, somebody, some fresh face, somebody who's going to be strong and bold enough, um, to I keep saying that word because it's almost, you need somebody who's going to stand up in that fashion, but at the same time, who's going to incorporate them. I mean, you need to turn around and talk to labor groups and civic groups and homeowner groups and and pose the problem to them i can't solve it without your cooperation i need your help in this regard someone who uh can negotiate at that kind of level uh and who's going to be honest about it why are we sugarcoating what's going on that's why we have the problem that we have and and it really doesn't lead to political success when when i look at at um uh Mayor Garcetti, it just like I know he is making every single effort possible in in the whole area of uh, in, in homelessness, and it has been a real problem for him in the last in the long run. And so again, it it has to be the kind of person who is going to challenge the very organizations and networks that are complaining about those issues. Um, it's someone who's going, you know. 
and and maybe I, I I hate to see somebody that is just a millionaire that's going to come in and doesn't need the money. Uh, but if we can find some middle ground, I think Antonio Villaragosa did a, a good job in that regard from time to time, not always, but from time to time uh, in, in trying to stand up to groups. He did it with labor. He did it with a couple of other groups, but you need to incorporate them. They need to be part of the problem solving that is going on and not just, you know, t- telling them yes at this moment and then. Um, and then telling everybody, yes, it just doesn't work. And that's, that's the struggle that we're going to have as we look forward to the mayoral election is trying to find the kind of leader that's going to be willing to tackle some of these issues in a way that's honest. Um, uh, otherwise, I think you're going to have a very low voter turnout. And, and again, we're going to have more of the same. We're not going to have the kind of crisis management that we need to have right now. Let me follow up with a question about the supervisor. Okay. Because the mayor actually is not as powerful as most incumbent LA mayors would like to be. The city charter kind of hamstrings the mayor, gives a lot of power to the city council. Do you think we ought to move away from that model toward a stronger mayor model? And you've been on the city council, so it's, you know, there's an argument for each side. I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I really do think we need to have a stronger mayor. I mean, I was a city council member, but I think it has gotten out of hand um, when it, I have been before the city council since I've been retired. And even on an issue that is so important to a particular district or a group of people, it's, you know, I'm going to vote with the councilman, whatever the councilman wants. And so it's gotten so out of hand that we're not doing the right thing at all. Uh, and so we have to um, we have to get away from it. We've got to find a way to get a stronger mayor. But, you know, you can be a stronger mayor if you just start incorporating those council people as well um, and, and incorporating them in solving the problem. I, I think that Tom Bradley did a good job in that. I remember I served when, when Tom Bradley was there. And, um, and I know when there was something going on in my district and he needed something, I was invited to his office. We had a discussion about it wasn't done behind my back. Uh, he didn't go around getting the votes without me. Um, I appreciated that. It, you know, sometimes I totally didn't agree with where he was going on something, but there was something about being able to be part of the discussion and, and having some input. It, 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 you build mutual respect. And, and I don't think we have that going on. You know, the only reason that council members are voting with other council members is because they're going to need them. They're trading votes left and right. And at right. the end of the day, you have the 15 isolated districts. You don't have one city working together. So, Bob, I do agree that we need to have a, a component that's going to create a stronger mayor and have the powers that he needs to get some of this work done. But it can be done by incorporating the city council and bringing them in and discussing it. And I said, I, I saw that with, with Mayor Bradley, and I, I, I respected him in that regard. He and I didn't agree on every issue, um, but the way he handled issues was, was very effective. Yeah, there aren't many big city, weak mayor cities that are doing well. Because yeah. those special interests you talk about, they find it particularly easy to, you know, grab onto city council members who may get into politics with less of a base and need the help to break through. So I, I think That's you right. both are right about that. Yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so let's uh, let's go on a sideline here for a minute because we've talked about kind of what we might need in the 
the path. I, I'd like to dive in a little bit to your career because it's fascinating. You broke a lot of ceilings uh, that, that might have looked like firm glass, but you went through them in your <laughs> career. What, what was that first race for assembly like? Because um, you, you had never been elected to anything before. You were kind of entrepreneurial in it. Why don't, you, why don't you tell us the lessons learned for maybe some of the students or others who are watching and are thinking, oh, there's no way I could ever run for office. It's all fixed. We got to know people. I mean, how'd you break through? Well, it's interesting. It was a challenge for me and it was a challenge for us in the community. We had a different goal. It wasn't just about let's get Gloria Molina elected. Our goal was to get a woman uh, elected to, first of all, it was to the U.S. Congress. That's the, our first goal. And, um, and, and, you know, we were dismissed by the powers at, in the community and those powers were the guys that were already elected, many right. of whom we had supported along the way. And uh, so they quickly dismissed us. There were two seats available at that time. Uh, and we were hoping to encourage um, the, 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 the power brokers at the time to see about getting one woman and, and, and a male. So we would have um, uh, our first Latina in the U.S. Congress. At that time, we did not have a Latina at all. And of course, they, they said, no, we already had our candidates and we moved on. And it was very stinging to many of us in the community and, and of course, to us as feminists and women who were trying to make sure that we were having access and opportunity just like our men in the community. So I, when this assembly seat came up, um, we certainly wanted to get a Latina elected. I went around to various Latina lawyers that I knew uh, and asked them to run for this seat. And of course, they turned us down. They said, the guys are never going to have it. It's just not going to work and so on. So at the end of the day, um, I decided to run. And I was fortunate enough because I had worked politically. I had very good relationships in the community, built a lot of support, didn't have a lot of money, but we had an unbelievable group of people and walkers that walk, we walked the district one and one half times, door to door, um, you know, dialogued with both men and women, most of them who couldn't trust a Latina or a woman in the seat because they said, you're not going to have any power whatsoever and you're not going to be able to help, help me. So um, <laughs> it, it was, it was difficult. And again, I think that at the end of the day, the guys, really underestimated us as well that and so uh we squeaked by and i was the first latina elected to to the california state legislature and luckily i've been followed by some amazing women um in the legislature and as latinas that are representing many have gone on to congress and to other seats but i'm very proud I, well, you had to break through uh, that glass ceiling and again the guys had a tough time with it Power is very, very important to anyone who has it. Uh, and when, when they're not going to share it, you almost have to strip them of it. And that's what happened. So I was fortunate in getting elected. And, and of course, um, and then, of course, there was the, uh, the special election that was held for the city council after, a, again, a reapportionment squabble with regard to getting another Latino district. And that's how I became a, a city council person. Again, the first Latina Um and what's interesting about um, running for as a member of the Board of Supervisors, I had been an activist uh, in a lot of the redistricting issues um, in helping a lot of the lawyers and doing a lot of the work with the census and the numbers and creating maps. I remember we would go to the Rose Institute. They would lend us um, the space from two o'clock in the morning to six to draw our maps. <laughs> but anyway, I was very actively involved in that. 
Uh, and, and of course, we were dismissed by the Board of Supervisors that drew their own maps. Um, but there was the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund uh, filed that lawsuit. Uh, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. For over 10 years, they battled on that. And, and at the end of the day, they won and, and created a Latino, uh, not a Latino district, but at least, uh, um, what is it? A, one that at least favored an opportunity, an opportunity district for a Latino to run for this seat. And so that is the seat that I ran for with nine other candidates for, um, county supervisor when they changed the district. And so the district lines. And so then I served in that for a couple of decades. So it was a long, a long history. Uh, but it was, it always started with being an activist in the community, being involved. Um, and, and again, having to be bold because if I would have waited around for the guys to say, okay, well, now a Latina can run. I don't know that today we would see many of, of the great Latinas that have followed me in the legislature and in the U.S. Congress. Uh, and so it sometimes you really have to push hard. And I did. And we, and I was successful and I was, I was lucky. It worked out. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. <laughs> when in doubt, push hard. That almost yes. always helps. I don't know anybody who said, you know, I got elected against the odds by not pushing at all. I've never, yeah. I've never met that incumbent. <laughs> so which job was more fun, state assembly or city council in L.A.? I'll leave supervisor aside because that's like being, you know, co-governor. Well, you know, I love being in the legislature. I thought it was interesting. The dynamics was going on, but it wasn't very practical for me because it wasn't very hands-on. You were legislating, but you weren't implementing. So you weren't sure what was happening. And, you know, it was interesting. And, and I loved, you know, the dialogue and the issues and all that was there, but it wasn't very hands-on flying up to Sacramento, being there four days out of the week, coming home to the district. And you really couldn't do as much for your constituents as you wanted. On the city council, I truly loved it. It was totally hands-on. I mean, I was out there making sure they were cleaning the streets in my community, making sure that I was fixing sidewalks out there. I like that aspect, the real tangible aspect, you know, working with LAPD with regard to gangs and drugs in the community. I did a lot of that, probably more hands-on than I should have been. Uh, but I like the idea that I was close to the implementation of that. And it worked well for me, although I, I did have to get very pushy with a lot of department heads uh, and, and making sure they were being attentive to um to this side of town the east side of town that in many instances they were not as attentive and of course the best job was was being a LA county supervisor oh, yeah. uh, most of all because you're just one of five uh, and you have a lot more power and and you can be involved and and but you're still working with the bureaucracy that was always kind of a barrier for me. They're a very unique group of people that don't move in the same manner that most of us do. And they get to it when they get to it. And sometimes um, you, you, it, it's hard to deal with. But at the same time, it was one of the best jobs because you were also legislating and you were also you had an opportunity to implement it as well. So if implementation wasn't working, you could adjust along the way. So that by far was the very best. Oh, it's one of the greatest jobs ever. I keep trying to talk my old friend, even though he's left the center and I'm a conservative, Zeb Yaroslavsky, to run for mayor. And I, I just don't think he wants the demotion. Because <laughs> now <laughs> you've been a supervisor with that kind of power, it's probably hard. Let me bring this up to what's happening 
our, our politics right now. Mm -hmm. The recall for Governor Newsom, as you know, will take place September 14th. But in addition, there are petitions circulating in support of recalling the L.A. County District Attorney, George Gascon, as well as three city council members. In this era of polarization, do you think the weaponization of recalls will continue or even increase? And is there anything we can do about this? Well, I think it's painful to watch when you're not even allowing the individual who is elected to really at least roll out their initiatives, get some of their policies in place and get to work. Uh, I think it's being taken advantage of. Uh, I don't know if we're going to ever be able to revisit it and change it. Um, it even even the recall for Governor Newsom, it's, it's really painful to think that if he got, you know, 49, if, if it doesn't get the 50 percent plus one, um, he's out of there and whoever just gets the most votes, it just doesn't make the system work at all. So it is being taken advantage of. And it's very unfortunate. Uh, I think it's a tough one to revisit. And I think we're one of the few states that has this. But I think it's very unfortunate because I think people are, are as you said, they're weaponizing the recall method. I think it should be there because in some instances you have folks that are just not doing the job at all. But People who just got elected, barely beginning, and then all of a sudden they're starting the recall petitions again because they disagree with your one way or, or, or your one policy. Um, I guess we just need to let people get some of their work done and, and not use it in this fashion. So I'm really opposed to the way it's being used today. And it's unfortunate because I think it's hampering again. It's intimidating to these officials um, that are not going <laughs> to... I mean, now you only got elected, you went through all that hurdle, and then you get there and you start working on the issues that you promised people on, and all of a sudden you're getting a recall and challenging, being challenged on the very things that you ran and got elected on. It's unfortunate. Yes, when, when you have a 12% threshold, the signatures that you have to get, 12% in the last election for that office, it means the losers can keep rerunning the election over and over and over again. And yeah. in, in the Newsom case, because there are all these people on the ballot, he could get 49.9% of the vote, as you said, and somebody who gets 28% of the vote could become governor. Absolutely. It make, that part makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it could be quite a shock to people. I, I think Newsom, because it's such a blue state, is going gonna, is gonna to edge it out on the recall question. But it's close enough that yeah. People could wake up and then have to Google their new governor, not even knowing who it is, <laughs> uh, uh, it, you know, radio talk show host or, or whomever. <laughs> right. If it's Kevin Falconer, I'll be happy. Otherwise, I will not be. <laughs> Back to mural politics, I think, just because I can't resist. Looking at these candidates, and many of whom you know personally, when you're making your own decision, uh, put yourself in the mind of kind of an average voter, what issue are you listening to the most in all the campaign noise? You know, what do you think the first meeting of the first day in office ought to be? What's the priority? And they're probably all going to talk about the most, you know, quote unquote, important issues. But what are you listening for that you can tell the pros from the amateurs or people who may not be the same old stuff? You know, what, what's kind of the signal or the, the type of discussion you're open to hear during the campaign? It's interesting. The ones that have come out so far, they have taken on the issue of homelessness and batted that around for a while. But offer no real solutions, no yeah. real leadership for it. So that is very discouraging. I think it's it's someone who is uh, who's just going to be able to convince me that um, they are going to look at all these 
multifaceted issues and, and, and realize that they have to bring good people to the table to solve them and that they're going to, to really create um, a kind of, of team that is going to, to be a problem solvers on some of these issues and, and someone who isn't just going out and having press conferences and talking about how bad homelessness and look at this and, and I'm going to change this. Just watch me. So I, I am looking for someone who is at least going to have somewhat of a plan, whether it be on development, whether it be on police reform, whether it be, you know, on traffic and transportation, um, at least give us an opportunity. I'm the kind that, that does look at what policy they've implemented in the past, what kind of work they have done and how they've done it and whether they've been successful or not. So I, I don't just look at what they say. I, I try and look behind what they have done in the past. And, and some people come with very solid credentials and others do not. And so it's hard to do so. But I really think you have to look behind all, you know, the press conference staff and all of that nonsense yeah. that goes on. The thing I'm looking for, and this is the hardest thing to find in politics, is somebody who's willing to be unpopular, but isn't crazy. Because in politics, you have to be crazy to be unpopular because you don't last long. It's a real you don't last of, long. You're absolutely right. I mean, but it's not realistic. But you, someone who yeah, who's willing to take it. That's why I thought that if Mayor Garcetti was going to leave us a little sooner, we had a real opportunity to appoint somebody who wasn't going to run for that seat and would really have an opportunity to be a problem solver along the way. And maybe in a short period of time, a year, a year and a half, might be able to tackle or start putting in place yeah. some solutions. It doesn't look like we're going to have that opportunity because I guess the process of becoming an ambassador and so on is taking very long. So there probably won't be an appointment process. But I thought we might have an opportunity there because that way that person could really take on all of those issues. No, I agree. I actually think it's a bit of a failure on Eric's part. I'll be an Eric critic here. I would, once he's appointed, and I think likely to be confirmed, he could have resigned and organized that and brought in General Patton for a year to do the thing that's a normal political system. Well, particularly on homelessness, there is no popular solution to homelessness. You basically got to have some all-powerful entity that can basically put shelters in places where locals never want shelters because no local wants it. You know, it's it's one of these these deals where the political system is designed to stop any action on that. And you got to got to have a way to break through. So anyway, I thought that was a missed opportunity. But again, the mayor could be doing it right now. He could True. put in place that kind yeah. of team on homelessness, for example, that could treat it as a crisis management issue. Right now, he could be doing it. He's on his way. He doesn't need to be reelected. He could put those people in place today and start segmenting these problems. It, it, we are building housing. We have the money to build housing. That's going to take a while. But let's talk about what the legal issues are here as well, besides a judge that's preventing us from from people sleeping on, on the sidewalks and so on. But can we incorporate ordinances that prevent people from taking over our parks, taking over our streets? And can we create a mechanism that is really going to confront the mental health needs of many of these folks? That is the biggest challenge of all. So you do have an opportunity. I mean, if, if I could counsel the mayor today, I'd say assemble that team today, unleash them. Uh, you have a real opportunity to get that done. I think that's also true in police reform. He has a real opportunity, and um, and I think he would show some very bold leadership. 
wouldn't be very popular with the interest groups, but he might be real popular with many of us that would like to see that kind of leadership stand up and be firm. I learned a real lesson from one of my clients, John Engler, three-term governor of Michigan, who was elected in 1990. He had been the state Senate president, so he knew government. He spent his career in it. And we get elected and big budget crisis, all the problems. And his polling numbers drop down to the floor, down to like a 29% favorable, 40% unfavorable, you know, which is the equivalent of being dead. And right. we're like nine months in and the pollster slinks in. And Angler, one of the great things about Angler was he never cared about polls. He'd always say, yeah, now, I, now I've spent $25,000 to find out what happened two weeks ago. You know, <laughs> what's going to happen next week? You know, I'm going to make something happen next week. So he sat us all down and the pollster's looking at his feet. Uh, uh, and says, boy, these numbers are really bad. And he turned to his chief of staff and legislative director and said, all right, since I'm massively unpopular, what can we do for the next six months that has to be done that'll make me even more unpopular? And then we'll worry about the comeback because I'll have some results to run on. And darn if it didn't work for three terms. So um, there, being unpopular in politics, if you time it right, get results and deliver for people is, is underrated. You know, and it maybe we'll is. have a mirror, things like that, because Angler sure knew it. Nobody could ever beat him. No, it, it can be done. But again, you just won't be pleasing anyone. And that's the only way to yeah. have effective policy. If, uh, well, what's best for the, the, the whole, not just a couple of special interest groups. We're going to go to audience questions in a minute, but I want to ask you this question. Out of all of the things that you did in all of the offices you held, is there any one thing you would point to? as the most important accomplishment, the thing you're most proud of? You know, it is hard uh, to find those kinds of things. I can't point to legislation. I can't point. I mean, it did a lot of work with children's services. I did a lot of stuff in different areas. But, you know, I stopped a prison in East Los Angeles uh, against the governor and against the speaker and the legislature. They just decided to. And, and, you know, somebody doesn't think that that's important, but that community that I protected is now such a vibrant community. It was vibrant then, but even more vibrant now. It is now called the Arts District. There would have been a state prison there uh, had we had we not stopped it. And it was quite a battle. Uh, I had to take a, a lot of, of um, you know, political... Um, <laughs> heavyweights on uh, but at that time it, and it was the most significant because if there would have been a prison there I could have just seen the deterioration of that entire Boyle Heights community and it's now thriving it is not only an arts district but Boyle Heights it's coming into its own and protecting many of those families and neighborhoods in that area and it was all because they just didn't seem to understand that it was a community they just thought well it's an industrial area yes there's schools nearby yes families are living nearby but you know that they, they, we can we can still put our prison where there was a great desert areas that where they finally ended up put, placing a state prison. So it isn't the best and the most important, but it was an important accomplishment for me. Uh, and it really empowered me with the community. I was very unpopular with the governor. Very, He vetoed all of my legislation that year, by the way. I had some great stuff that I did in high school dropouts. 
He vetoed 11 of my bills. I wasn't popular with Willie Brown. He was very angry that I just wouldn't accept it and, and, and accept some concessions. So I made everyone very, very angry. But again, at the, at the same time, I was able to get elected to the Board of Supervisors and the City Council after that because people in the community trusted me and we were operating in their best interest at the time. Um, had, you know, I wasn't going to get any kind of, of, of position from Willie or any kind of leadership role whatsoever. And in my chances of legislation, the governor was going to veto anything that came before him because he was so angry with me. <laughs> There's a joke there somewhere about how you'd be, if you'd been nicer, you'd be VP. But um, so who is your favorite governor? And you're allowed to say a Republican. We won't tell anybody. It's just us. Because you, you knew a bunch of them from 1982 who is your favorite to deal with to deal with yeah just you know in the paul the paul relationship it doesn't have to be on policy you were completely aligned all the time but who'd you enjoy the most or who did you who was your favorite well i don't know that i have a favorite but you know believe it or not i did enjoy governor uh, ronald reagan i don't know why i say that but i had an opportunity to to uh, work with him on an issue uh, and, and I had, and this is before I was elected. I mean, I wasn't elected as just an activist in the community. And then believe it or not, I was on some kind of a panel. Uh, at that time it was, I don't know, it was initiative about taxation and it was Moretti was on one side and Reagan was on the other side. And I was part of a panel and then I had an opportunity to sit down and talk to him for about a half hour. And it was, he was just fascinating in, in every way whatsoever. I thought he was honest. Uh, he was honest with me. He was very honest in telling me that he couldn't do what I wanted to do. And I appreciated that. I need to know where people are at. Um, right. and, and that was very, very helpful to me. Uh, so believe it or not, I Great. was it, either I was charmed by him or what, but I, I, I didn't enjoy his policies. But at the end of the day, he did a lot for the Latino community when you look at the immigration issue and the amnesty yeah. issue at the end of the day. I wish the party now was where Reagan was, frankly. It was a great <laughs> thing for the Republican Party. Yeah. What do you wish you had known about government before you became part of it? I really wish I would have been a little bit more effective in uh, in making concessions and giving in. I, I, you know, it, it goes a long way. And I didn't build the kind of relationships that I needed to build in order to be more effective as, as an elected official. Um, that certainly started happening toward the end of my career. Uh, when I stepped into the Board of Supervisors, um, you know, they were not happy. Uh, they were, all of them had supported the, the map as is. Um, but I, and, and people who, uh, honestly, I didn't know and really had not, I did not like their issues. But um, when I started getting to know uh, folks like Don Kanabi and uh, Mike Antonovich and, and, and starting to work with them, and these are folks that I never thought I was going to be able to work with because they're Republicans. I disagree with them. But at the same time, there were many issues we worked on and we collaborated on and found resolution to. Um, and I wish I would have known that beforehand. I, I didn't build the kind of relationships that I should have built when I was in the legislature or on the city council. I came in there thinking, this is what I'm doing. I need this done. I got to find a way to get this done. And uh, I wish I would have learned to be much more collaborative um, than, than uh, I came in there with a very bold and attitude at the time and, and sort of a chip on my shoulder. I really kind of wish, and I look back, 
that I had worked in a more collaborative fashion because really you need to get things done in that. Not con- not conceding what, what you need to get done. You've got to find people that you can work with and, and problem solve together. So I wish I would have been more effective and I would have known a little bit more about that. I still didn't like working with lobbyists and all the special interest groups. And from day one, that was something that just I just didn't want to be a part of. But uh, you need to work with them as well. But I think at the end of the day is having more of a collaborative relationship with your colleagues, I think, is very important. And, and you're saying that by the time you got to the Board of Supervisors, that's exactly what you were doing. Exactly what I was doing. And like I said, uh, people like Republicans that uh, I would have not thought that I could work with. We became great problem solvers. Uh, we found a, a lot of things that we supported uh, each other and, and found them as colleagues to be equally as interested in solving these issues and really incorporate them. So I wish I would have known and been a bit smarter about that collaborative and building those kinds of relations, not to trade votes, but to have a good solid dialogue about what needs to get done in order to solve a problem. I have a question from our audience. This is from Michael Davis. Michael writes, what do you think will happen now in selecting the temporary mayor and what candidates, including women, do you think would make great candidates of those being, excuse me, currently mentioned? And I'd argue maybe Larry Elder to give him a tryout before uh, governor. Uh, but uh, what, what, what do you think of the usual suspects list we're reading about? Anybody exceptional there? Anybody you'd suggest into the discussion as the temporary mayor between now and the election? Well, I would not select any of the people that are running for office now or running for right. that seat at all. Um, I would, again, I think it's time to have a, a person who's a problem solver. Um, I happened to have an opportunity, and 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 he was my chief of staff, and that was Miguel Santana. He worked as um, with with the mayor, uh, with Mayor Antonio Villarreal at the time, and and you need someone like him who's a problem solver, who's not going to be running for office. Um, it's somebody who would step in and be bold enough and collaborative enough and working with with folks. Um, but I would not select any of the can any of the folks that are running now. I think they need to run for office. They need to do their thing, and and they're two very different roles. We might we would have an opportunity if we selected someone like I said that was a hands on leader who would just start working like a crisis manager on some very critical issues and try and put solutions in place because it's a short period of time, um, and he he's not going to be running for re-election. So very frankly, he can be bold enough and stand up to all those special interests that are clouding uh, our, our move forward, our future. If, if we don't get on the right track, it's going to be disastrous for us in the future. What's your take on the latest bit of hot political news in the Marrero race, which is Mark Ridley Thomas, who has a long history uh, in L.A. County politics, a lot of a lot of support, announced kind of surprising people he wasn't going to run for mayor. But Karen Bass, who was on the shortlist for vice president and is, uh, uh, I remember her from Sacramento as somebody who was pragmatic and you could do business with, um, a big friend of uh, President Biden's, uh, she's taking a serious look, we're told, at it now. Do you think she'd be a strong contender? And do you have a, you have a guess if you think she's ultimately going to run or not? Because I think she would instantly be one of the front runners, would be my guess. 
Well, I like Karen, and I think she would be a good good candidate. And um, I've seen her stand up to special interest and incorporate people. I, sometimes I think what might happen as she's running, that might get diluted. I would worry about it. But yeah. um, she does stand up to a crisis. She's, she seems to be very strong. Uh, I don't know if she's going to run or not. But you need someone like that. I, I've seen her in action. She's very collaborative. Uh, and effective in building her relationships, get outstanding relationship with labor. Um, hopefully she can stand up to them and, and tell them the truth of, about what they need to do to be a part of a, of a solid future for LA. So she, she is someone, uh, almost an outsider because she's been in the legislature and she's been now in Congress and it's sort of distant, but she's become more and more popular on these issues. And I know she's interested in the issues of police reform and hopefully she can deal with, with um, all of those police unions and so on to start incorporating them as to how we move forward on police reform. So she, she would be a strong candidate if she decided to run. So another question, you're, no, this must be from a relative. It's a very nice question. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely accurate too. Your battles have been inspiring to all Los Angelinos. What do you think we need to be fighting for the most right now? Well, I think we need to we need to fight for a future. We really do. Um, Los Angeles is an amazing, amazing city. L.A. County is an amazing uh, group of cities. Uh, we are so big and so powerful and we have so much opportunity. Um, we really need to fight for a future. It's a future that really requires some bold leadership at every single level. Um, and uh, I, I just, you know, it, it's the hardest thing to do today. But also, it, we need somebody who's going to be inspirational, who's going to get the voters to come out and vote. It is amazing how few people vote in our municipal elections. I'm particularly dismayed constantly about how yeah. Latinos are not voting. And I go out there and talk to voters directly, and all of them tell me they just don't trust us. They don't trust us politicians at all. They just aren't interested. They say we're going to tell them whatever they want to hear and at the end not do anything. So we have a long way to go to build back that kind of trust. Uh, and it's very unfortunate because every single day you're seeing example after example, whether it be corruption, whether people taking advantage of of, of their positions, uh, that is just enough to turn people off and say, you know what, I'm not going to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, and it's really unfortunate. So we really need to, to, to be very, very aggressive. And those fights that we take on, they're very, very important as long as they represent the interest of the community and the interest of the future as a whole. You know, it's funny. People who say, oh, it's all rigged by special interests, so I'm not going to vote. What I wish they would realize is that the fewer people who vote, the more powerful the special interests are. Absolutely. Because they do very well in low turnout elections when you can turn out the membership or the people with an economic interest in that group. All right. Here's a question from Anonymous. And this is a great local official question. So this will be okay. the 10,882nd time you've had a question like this. So let's pretend you're still on the console or you're still a supervisor. And here it comes from Anonymous. I recently visited LA and was overwhelmed by the amount of trash around the freeway and ramps, exits, et cetera. Trash, 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 trash all over. Is this an issue with your county sanitation departments? It's a true crisis. It's a true crisis. Can you please comment? So there we go. The old trash question. And they're right, by the way. I see it too. 
I am equally as dismayed. When I went into the my council district, uh, I had a real crisis with trash. Uh, and it was, uh, I had to get right in there with the sanitation workers. And I had, we had look at equipment. We had to make sure, I mean, some of these rules, sometimes the workers were not showing up. I mean, the bureaucracy is so bad at that level. You need crisis management when it comes to that because we, and we need more people to be doing it. So the budget needs to be big enough. I think the first thing you do with homelessness is start talking about cleaning up these streets. They're filthy. Uh, and it's really unfortunate for all of us, but it really needs somebody to be hands-on. Uh, I used to do that. I used to go out. And if there was a street that said that that they had to move their cars between nine o'clock and twelve o'clock, uh, I would go out there at one o'clock and make sure the street was clean. And if it wasn't, I would call the supervisor. And in many instances, he had a hundred and one excuses of why that person didn't show up for work or the sanitation truck broke or whatever. It really requires public works and all of those folks to be real efficient managers of that system. But I think that the first priority for the city of LA is to clean itself up. It really is. It's, it's, it's not a clean city and we should, we should be ashamed of that. And uh, we should use all of the resources and find all the equipment that we need and hire the right people and incorporate the businesses to be part of cleaning up in front of their businesses as well. They could lend a hand. Uh, and, and instead of just closing and shutting down at five o'clock, they might think of getting up a little earlier and washing down their sidewalk and being cooperative in some fashion. So we need to have some, um, a major cooperation, but cleaning the city, I think is one of the most important things that I think that that bills, not well, it'll also build pride in our city and yeah. people thinking that, yeah, they're doing their job. I mean, that's the first thing you do is that you want city services to be working for you every single day. And you can demonstrate it's working for you by cleaning your sidewalk, by cleaning your street, by your the, the freeway to be clean and, and protected. I mean, I think that's one of the first things we need to do. Okay. Bob, any last words before I do the wrap up here? No, I just want to. I want to thank Gloria for this, and I want to thank her for coming. I think it's going to be an extraordinary experience to have you as a fellow. It's going to be extraordinary for our students, and we're going to have some more conversations like this as the semester moves along. Mike, you want to take it home? Yeah, the bully pulpit. Well, first of all, let me join you, Bob, in thanking you, uh, Supervisor Molina. See, I'm an old staff guy. I can't not use the honorific. <laughs> uh, for joining us and being a fellow at USC. Thank you. It, nothing is better than real elected practical politicians come to talk to our kids about how it really works and inspire them in the public service. So thank you for your commitment and time and effort to our, our little project here. We will be back with the bully pulpit. It never ends. We're going to be back on September 1st, and you're going to want to get this one. We're going to discuss the Newsom recall with experts, USC professor Jennifer Cryer, journalist Seema Mehta from the LA Times and Carla Marinucci from Politico, California, and a long career in California political writing and newspapers before that, and Democratic strategist Roger Salazar, plus me and Bob to straighten everybody out. So if you want to know what's going on in the recalls that comes to the stretch, join us on September 1st. You have always more information on our website and share it with your friends. Tell them about this. It's free. Why not tune in? Uh, and finally, if you want to help the center with the kind of things we do, reaching tens of thousands of people, I bet we're even higher than that now, 
through Zoom and what we do, go to our website and check it out because your help makes what we do possible. So thank you very much, Bob Schrum. Thank you, Gloria Molina. And until next time, thank you out there. Thank you for joining us on The Bully Pulpit. It helps us a lot when you subscribe and rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at USC P-O-L Future. That's USC P-O-L Future. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube and visit our website for upcoming programs. 